Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your hosts, Austin Ye and Mayu Thava. But Mayu is not with us today. Feels like we're doing one preamble each before the other person takes off into vacation. I just came back from Boston. Mayu's at Dominican right now, hoping he's enjoying himself. There's been a lot of things going on on the housing side of things. I don't want to go too in depth into it right now. Um, Because I'm sure we're going to release either an episode on it or Mayu and I are both going to have a pretty lengthy preamble talking about it. Um, But just some updates. Uh, Obviously, we've been seeing the demand side of things really slow down in almost any market you go across in Ontario. Some properties that are newly renovated and are in very desirable areas might have multiple offers. But for the vast majority of the cases, we've been seeing properties with much less showings. Um, a lot of properties being delisted and relisted on the MLS for the price that they're looking for. Um, the multiple bid situation is not really something that as a seller, you can count on now. Um, there are houses with no bids from time to time. And that's really as a result of all of the talks of policies that might be coming up to curb demand. And on top of that, um, obviously, the most biggest thing is the increase in interest rates. We had recently a 50 basis point um, interest rate hike. And really, interest rates are the great equalizer in in housing. Affordability has become even tougher um, now with with all of the interest rates increasing because a lot of buyers can afford less of a house now. And of course, with all of the policies, uh, with talks being in place, such as things to curb demand from flippers, things to curb demand from foreign buyers, and also talks about different initiatives to help first-time home buyers, like the new tax-free home savings account. We're going to go into depth in that a little bit later on and, and our thoughts on how that's going to impact housing moving forward. But obviously with all of this, it's had a large psychological impact on investors and home buyers. And we have seen a decline in prices over the past month, um, pretty much across many cities, uh, or I guess most notably cities outside of the GTA, uh, just speaking with realtors and the Durham region realtors in KWC, it's been quite evident that prices have been kind of declining off. Um, It's not reflected in the data just yet. Um, But again, housing data lags a bit, right? Um, But just based off of boots, talking with people, boots on the ground and are doing this day to day, they have been noticing a decline in prices, um, sometimes even upwards of 10 to 15% over the past seven or eight weeks. Um, so there might be some good buying opportunities here. And from kind of from my strategy, what my point of view and what I'm going to be doing going forward is, is that I'm not going to leverage myself as aggressively. Fortunately, my loan to value, my portfolio is relatively low. It's probably about 60% or something like that. So 40% in equity, 60% in debt. I'm going to reduce the amount of private loans. I actually finally end up paying my final private lender. Um, and we're going to be refinancing our eight unit now. So we are going to be in a lender or credit unions with all of our properties at the moment. So reducing our private lending, um, definitely going to say that I will still be reaching out to private lenders for some flips here and there, but not as aggressively as I once was, because um, the key here is, is that we're not, there, there's uncertainty with the market 
in the future. And I do foresee prices declining, um, obviously more throughout the year, but that's a conversation again for another time. Just want to be very conservative moving forward. I am still going to be doing VERS, but one thing I've come to grasp with is, is that if appraisals change, either they tighten up appraisals and, and make it more conservative or prices drop, I need to be okay with leaving a little bit more money into the deal. I Now more than ever, I can't expect to get full burrs. Uh, it's something that I've come to terms with and I'm okay with. So I'm not going to be doing five or six projects at one go, more likely maybe one or two projects, finishing those off at a, at a decent pace, feeling comfortable, not over leveraging, not feeling stressed, and then moving on to the next sort of project. On the right side of things, that means it's going to be fantastic buying opportunities for investors who are ready to jump on these opportunities, investors who have liquidity um, or investors who have been sitting on the sideline waiting to find good deals. Um, I do foresee better deals coming in the next couple of months. So um, stay liquid, or I guess cash is trash, but have, have a decent amount of liquidity so that you can take advantage of these opportunities when they do come up. Um, what else do I need to update on, um, on my side of things? Not, not really, not, not much else. Um, getting appraisals done, refinancing a couple of properties, probably not going up to 80% loan to value, but just preparing myself ultimately to take advantage of these deals as they're coming. And I'm seeing some juicy deals now, um, cause the valuations that I've been seeing, at least in some of the regions I've been buying in, they don't really make too much of, of any sense in my opinion. Like just today, I was just browsing through Windsor's listing and I've seen that student rentals, single family student rentals are selling for 600,000 plus, and they could probably only rent for 3000 to 3,300 a month. Um, so like the numbers are not really making much sense, but I have been again, noticing a dip in prices. So can't wait to jump on opportunities when they come. Um, anyways, enough of me, I guess jibber jabbering about that. We're going to get more in depth into that in another episode, but we're going to today's podcast episode. We have a very special guest, Alvin, Alvin Wong with us on the podcast. If you are on social media, you probably see him. He's all over the place on social media. Um, very transparent, been sharing his journey. He's only been investing for, I think, what's been around two years and has grown a pretty impressive portfolio. I remember when I first met Alvin, he had zero investing experience, was as green as I was in real estate when we both kind of started off. Didn't know the burst strategy or anything like that, but was able to get a couple of full burrs under his pocket shortly while starting uh, investing. He invested in mentorship coaching. He puts himself out there. He attends networking events. Now he's raising capital for a couple of his projects. This guy's a hustler. He's an action taker, super inspiring episode. It just goes to show um, no matter what background you're from, even if you don't have a deep knowledge into real estate when starting off, it's not an excuse. It's not a crutch. You can still accomplish amazing things in real estate investing. And Alvin is a prime example of that. Make sure to tune into this episode and we're going to jump into it right now. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest today. We have Alvin. Alvin, how's everything going, man? I'm doing well, boys. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, Alvin. So we've known you for quite some time now, but for anyone that doesn't, um, and I mean, you've, you've got quite the social media personality too, so hopefully people know you, but for anyone that doesn't, why don't you give them a quick rundown on yourself and you know how you got started in real estate and what you're up to, and then we'll deep dive into the parts of it. Yeah, thanks uh, for the introduction. Yeah, my name's Alvin. And uh, to go back to my story, you know, like uh, I'm a registered nurse by background, 
And uh, I finally got a position in the emergency department. So I was really excited, happy. And then after a year, they came approach me and told me that they were going to let me go. And for a time when nurses needed the most, you know, I never believed that they would let people go during these times. So, yeah, so I ended up like uh, finding a new job in Toronto. And while I was packing and uh, moving, I left Dustin in my bookshelf was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, that really changed my life. And it really taught me a little bit like concepts about like finances and taking ownership of your life. And so I went on a quest to look for an investment vehicle. And um, I found out that uh, I need to take control of my life and uh, did my research, looked around and I came across a YouTube video. And that's where I found uh, Austin yourself. And that's where I um, started to reach out to you. And you, you told me about like uh, real estate and I started to really enjoy it as I did that dove deeper into it. And so like, I, I, I knew that I didn't know uh, much about real estate and I asked you for, um, if you know any coaches and that's where you recommend me a high performance Canadian real estate coach. And since then being with him for like uh, almost two years, I started with no properties no knowledge in real estate. And I end up getting like, uh, today I have like, uh, five, uh, properties and 13 doors. Nice. That's quite the journey, man. Um, so, so I'm curious. So, so you moved to Toronto for work and then when you first got started on kind of your real estate investing journey, how'd you go about deciding where to invest, uh, what market to target, how much capital did you have? Put us kind of in your shoes at that time. Yeah. So I definitely like uh, saved up a lot. Like even before I got into real estate, I was very frugal. Like <laughs> I didn't really go out much. I didn't really do too much entertainment. So I've always wanted to save, but I was doing it the wrong way. I was like pretty much putting money in my pillowcases, like mattress, I'd say, you know, right, and so right. I built up enough capital. Um, so I, at that time I had like, um, uh, approximately hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> my yeah. stocks was, was helping a little bit, but not a lot. How long were you working for at that point? Oh, I was uh, working for, let's see, approximately uh, seven years nursing. Okay. But and that's what shocked me the most. It's like, I've been saving so much. Like, how is it possible that I only have $100,000 saving? But don't get me wrong, I've been putting into my pension as well, my Healthcare right. Ontario pension plan, which is a pretty solid one, but still like $100,000, that's, that's peanuts, you know? <laughs> and I can't see myself living off like, that's a lot of money. You have to understand though, like, uh, when you're 60 years old, I don't know how much more do I get from, you know, if I get, if it's seven years of nurse to working nursing at hundred, that's not a lot in, in my opinion. But anyways, uh, mm. I started to like, uh, explore markets and I told myself if I'm going to do really well, I got to make sure that I have a good network. And I, I, the only person I knew was Andrew uh, Cox, which you had on your show, Austin. And also I knew you as well. So if I'm going to fail, I can reach out to both of you guys. And you know, um, that's how I picked out, uh, Windsor and Windsor had some really good markets in there. So. Like we got some good economics there. Um, it definitely turned around. And I know Austin, you talked a lot about Windsor. So I'm not going to go too much on that. So I thought it would make sense. Got in there and uh, picked up my very first property on October the 1st, uh, 2020. I was really lucky because it was during the time of uh, the pandemic where everyone's just offloading properties or they're just really scared. And for a very discount rate, uh, even though it was in a C plus neighborhood of Windsor, um, I got for... 
uh, thousands. And then after uh, I did two phases of renovations and then my final refinance uh, came out to be $430,000. Yeah. How much money did you end up putting in that deal? And what was the scope of work? Cause I know that just to frame things into perspective, when you were getting into that first property, let's not get it twisted. You weren't a real estate guru by any means. You were literally learning while doing. I remember that we got on calls and <laughs> yes. awesome. Jesus Christ. This quote came back three times. I was thinking I don't have the money for these rentals. Like, what do I do? So can you walk us through that first property, including the struggles and how you overcame it? Yeah. So, um, essentially like my biggest, uh, learning curve was, uh, learning to mitigate, uh, some of the risks that I had. So that was like, make sure that the budget was, uh, making sense. And at that time, the quotes were, the quotes were really high for the renovation budget. And then I jumped on, yeah, like you said, we jumped on a call and then you showed me the ropes on like how to decrease some of the budget. So like we're doing like a strategic renovations. Uh, so we're talking about like flooring, painting, and also utilizing the coach that I have right now, uh, telling me that to not to like change windows. <laughs> so that really de- helped decrease some of the costs and the renovations. And um, essentially that helped with the cost and the budget. If you bought it for 240, um, how much do you say you spent on renovations? Uh, for renovation, I spent around uh, 65,000. 65, it was like two units? It was two units. So I did two okay. phases. Okay. Yeah, the first phase and then the second phase. That's why the final refinance uh, came out to be uh, 430. Yeah. Was it tenanted? I believe one of them were tenanted or was it both vacant, right? Well, actually, yeah. uh, one of them was vacant, the upper unit. And then the last unit, it was tenanted. And that one right there was a, uh, was a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I remember this. Please elaborate. <laughs> happened there? Cause I know first property, assuming tenants, a lot of new investors are afraid to do that. Especially I think they were paying like what, six or 700 bucks a month. Yeah. yeah. So this tenant was paying 1500, but here's the cash though. He wasn't paying me at the end. He literally went to my face and he told me like, yeah, I'm not paying you just because I feel like just because I don't want to basically. <laughs> so I had to go through the whole landlord tenant board. And then, How long did that take? Huh? Oh, oh my God. That it was uh, the pandemic made it worse. So we're talking about like uh, close to uh, 67 months. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. The reason why, the reason why he was able to leave earlier, I'm not exaggerating, is I, it should have been one year. The reason why did he left uh, early because he torched my lawn on fire. <laughs> and uh, and he started to throw like cockroaches onto my tenants upstairs. He was harassing them. So landlord tenant board got like a uh, alarm. He said, "Oh my god! Like we gotta do something." I was like, "No shit!" You know. So <laughs> and uh, they finally got rid of him. Like uh, the day that he left, you know, he just <laughs> he just packed up. He just packed up a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, hopped on a bus, and left. And, uh, oh. and then like, uh, he left all the shit into my room. So I had to like, uh, get junk removal, Like he left all the stuff. Yeah. So it was a shit show, but you know what, that property really gave me a really huge, um, lesson, you know, like really not to be friends with like, um, like I was too nice. I didn't know the whole real estate game of being a, a landlord. So I was trying to be like friendly to everybody, but you got to be stern. You got business, you know, and you got to treat everyone fairly, but at the same time, stern about a situation that is not up to your, what you want in your properties. And I wasn't. And so that's, that taught me a lot. And so now I literally knew the whole process of landlord tenant board, the process that informs all because of this guy. 
And uh, he literally taught me the landlord tenant board like rules and regulations. So I owe him the education. Should have paid him the uh, coaching fee. <laughs> <laughs> so we can call, I, I, we'll call it even. I, I usually say like I think sometimes a non-paying tenant is much better than a undermarket tenant that's perfect and abiding by all the kind of rules and regulations, right? Because those are really tough to get out. Versus at least if they're not paying you rent, like it's a couple months of pain, but at least you know that they're getting out and you're going to be increasing their rents. Right. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, his rent was pretty good as well. So that kind of hurts, yeah. but, um, okay. So, so that deal, you must've walked out of it with all of your capital plus a little bit, I think from my rough calculation. Right. Um, yeah. so, so how did you continue to go on from there? Yeah. So, um, it's it, like you said, th- that's a powerful thing about real estate. You know, um, I'm not going to say, uh, everyone can do a perfect burnout in this current market and everything. It's okay mm-hmm. to tie up at least, uh, some money in there. Uh, even like, I'm even okay with like uh, 25,000 or 30,000, you know, uh, it really depends on everybody, but I don't want everyone to get hopes that there's a perfect burr out there, but I was really lucky. This was a, a burr. Okay. So I got approximately 14 to $13,000 back after the refinance. And that paid for everything that the tent didn't pay me. So I'm just like, wow, this is really good. You know? So I decided to look into more of uh, real estate in Windsor, but by that time, you know, I didn't feel that there was a lot more cash flow in the market. And also like, um, I was trying to at least get up to 20, 30,000 tied in at least, but I didn't see too much of that. So I've decided to pivot my strategy and look into elsewhere. And that's where I landed into Sudbury. Mm. Uh, this one was my very first property in Sudbury. It was on a really nice A plus uh, neighborhood in new Sudbury for all those, uh, um, Sudbury investors know what I'm talking about. I bought this property for, uh, $239,000. And then like after refinance, it was uh, the first only one refinance, it was $330,000. So I'm like, wow, this is a single, um, semi-detached property. Yeah. It's a single family house and you said you bought it for 230 and it was worth 330 after. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought this one on March, the, uh, March the 1st. I renovated in two months. March 1st, sorry to clarify, 2021. Yeah, yeah, March 1st, 2021, yeah. And uh, I refinanced it on like uh, approximately March, around May. That's awesome, man. So from when you pulled out your money on your duplex, what was that process like until you found Sudbury? Did you have some time off or you just immediately purchased right away? Oh, I immediately start uh, the, the big gap was because I was building a power team in Sudbury. Let's talk about that. So how do you go about building a power? Because you literally spent so much time networking and building a team in Windsor, mm-hmm. acquired a property there, then now transitioning your portfolio to another city. How was it like building that power team? Can you walk us through kind of the step-by-step process? Because you got in before there were a significant amount of Sudbury investors. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really lucky. Like, um, it was because of the the situation I saw in Windsor. I was like, no, this is not not something that I can do. So I, I wanted to have two markets I can work on. Um, so how I started was uh, I reached out to I went on Kijiji and like looked up every single like general contractor. I called every single one of them. I got at least five of them, and then like uh, I narrowed down to five. And then afterwards, I would uh, in person meet up with them to like um, uh, either through Zoom or in person. And then like I would just um, uh, see how things goes, like see the interaction, like, uh, and, uh, see their skills, see their job site. And, uh, I would ask them a few questions about if they have any insurance and then to, uh, vet. 
And then like uh, the last one, the final person I choose will be a person that like uh, really resonate, um, have good relationship with and also like relatable. And that's the final person. That's how I uh, get my general contractor. I already have my uh, mortgage broker. I already have my lawyers from my Windsor. So I'm still using them. So really, you're just looking for a general contractor. You're looking for, so that includes your general renovation general contractor, your plumbers, your electricians. And then uh, I started to look for a realtor as well, too. And I think the realtor is really your uh, best uh, foundation whenever you pivot to a new strategy because they know the market well. Oh, also get a, uh, a local. <laughs> Very important. So the local that I work with, like he knows uh, Sudbury really well and he's a real estate investor focus. So that's how I wanted to build my power team around people who actually knows real estate and people who actually knows my strategy, what I'm doing. So I do the burr um, currently. So that's one of my questions whenever I ask uh, all my uh, power team, like, do you know what the burr is? Mm, okay. That's a really good question. And then I'm assuming you go about finding a property manager after you ask you have a property under contract, right? That's correct. So my property manager also knows the burr strategy. So that was very important for me. Because uh, and also very important is that they invest as well too. So my property manager actually do invest. Um, she actually invests in Sudbury and Timmins. So at least I know that um, they have an investor focused mind. Got it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. some some property managers who don't have an investor focused mind, they might be inclined to recommend fixing and doing everything before renting it out. But when you're dealing with someone who's knowledgeable on what needs to be done before, what's good enough to make it available for rent and maximize rent, those are usually the investor oriented property managers, the ones who invest themselves and understand because they manage their own portfolio as well. Um, So let's get into the numbers of your second property here. Uh, Before, actually, before we get into the numbers, how did you find this property? Was it on the MLS? Was so this is like, process. So the way how I found this was through MLS, and uh, and at that time in Sudbury, like um, uh, finding properties in MLS uh, wasn't as crazy as now. You know, it's funny. It's only been one year, and uh, how Sudbury has bloomed so well. You know, at the same time, it's very competitive as well too. I'm seeing a lot of uh, investors from Toronto flooding over there, even in the, my hometown in Ottawa. People are going there too. So. I picked it up, this property in uh, New Sudbury, like I mentioned, through MLS. And at that time, the seller, he was actually uh, moving into a, a larger property. So he really needed the capital, I found out. So we we uh, went in the negotiation table and uh, uh, I asked for uh, inspection, you know, the usual conditions. And we found some um, problems in the attic. There were some modes in there. And so I brought the inspection report to the seller and I told them, you know, this is uh, what I found. It's a lot of work, you know, and um, you're more than welcome to like uh, look for your contractor. But I found a quote from my general contractor as well, too. So we compared and we agreed to uh, part ways to get the deal done for 200 and uh, yeah, 230. Yeah, I think I remember this this deal, and I think at some point we were talking about this as well, you and I. And at that point to you, it was a really big, really scary kind of issue like hey there's there's mold in the roof there's mold in the attic i'm just curious now like do you feel the same way like do you feel like it was a big deal do you feel like it was a mess up or do you feel like it wasn't that big of a deal <laughs> it wasn't a big of a deal apparently <laughs> like uh, well actually from learning from you and my coach as well too as long as it's contained you know you still have time until like uh, you have enough capital to yeah. after refinance to fix the roof <laughs> so um awesome, make man. sure that make, make sure that the ceiling is like doesn't have like uh, mold in there 
like visibly seen and make sure there's no holes obviously but otherwise it's contained so you're you're really good to go so it's funny like how you said it because as a novice investor we get really freaked out about the inspection report you know and it wasn't it wasn't a bad idea the, the inspector gets to see how how afraid i was too so they're like oh my god this is actually serious shit so let's negotiate down <laughs> so i think that's just so important by right so i just wanted to yeah. kind of you know show people like in, in hindsight half the shit that we think is a big deal half the shit that we think ah oh, fuck we're fucked yeah. like this is it we're done yeah. um, in hindsight like six months or a year later you just kind of shrug it off and you're like oh, i don't know why i was so dramatic about that but um, yeah. when you're in the middle of it it's really tough right so um, I want to quickly get ahead to, you know, where you are today in your investing journey. Um, Cause I know you said you're at 13 units um, and kind of how you're sourcing these markets. Cause you're still operating in Sudbury. The market is crazy hot there. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of curious how you look at things now. Yeah. So definitely for sure. Like I mentioned, it was uh, Sudbury's getting very competitive. Like we have properties that pop up in MOS um, and it, they give, they'll be picked up in like three days. That's how crazy it is over there now. But, uh, you know, there's still hope, you know, um, I still, most of my deals are found on MOS. Um, my second latest deal, which is a fourplex, I actually got that through MOS. It was all because of inheriting tenants. Like, uh, no one likes to inherit tenants. I, that's the thing. Like when you, when you go through a challenge and you come out from that, able to solve that problem, you become not just numb, but you also see it as like a, a, a you know, a learning curve that you, you know, we can, you can do it. So for myself, you know, I, I don't mind taking inherited tenants anymore because I just know how to deal with them. I just know how to uh, talk to them, interact with them. And also, I also know how to like convince them to like, um, you know, um, to, for us both to make a win-win situation, you know, like where we can, uh, we can part ways, you know? So are these inherited tenants, are they, um are these really bad tenants like are they like uh not paying rent are they like really like keeping the property in poor condition or are they just very under market rented so it's a little bit of dabble of everything so not paying rent um the condition hoarding um health hygiene wise and uh, some of my tenants that i inherited needs to be in an area where they need to be supervised by a healthcare provider the problem is, you know, when you find that it is for the benefit that they be seeking for like a healthcare provider, more supervised, like a retirement home and everything, they don't know the process. And this is where my experience come in, in nursing, you know, uh, this is one example of when my um, talk with a tenant, you know, like I'm very familiar with the healthcare industry and I know the system. So I was able to connect them to like a um, local healthcare provider. And he didn't even knew that there were such thing as these services. And then he was like, okay, well, if I'm going to get more care from people with 24 hours looking, I'd rather leave the property, you know? And also they're getting cheaper uh, rent as well too, because the Canadian uh, Ontario province are helping them out as well too. So that's uh, some of my uh, negotiations and also try to make a win-win situation, not just for their safety, also for business standpoint, but you know, we're everyone's a win-win, right? Yeah. So you're basically helping them find alternative accommodations as well, I guess, in, in those kind of scenarios. Yeah. So what, do the, what do the numbers look like on call it a triplex? Actually, before we get into the numbers, I'm, I'm just still curious. So when you bought it, inherited, did you get the tenants out before closing, during closing? How did that process work? Cause I know a lot of people have questions on that and a lot of yeah. not even newer investors, intermediate yeah. and experienced investors will avoid these deals because of that reason. So I'm able to get them before closing. 
there's two ways you can do it. Uh, one, you, you talk to the seller and the seller does it for you. You pay them the, the amount that's to do the cash, uh, cash for keys. Uh, that's the terminology. And uh, the second is that if I inherit them on the day of um, closing, then I will have to uh, give them at least two months. So you're getting your seller to serve notice, um, but what notice are they serving? Like they would have to be negotiating cash for keys, right? So you're yeah. writing into your purchase and sales agreement that you want XYZ units vacant on, on closing. The way that yeah. you're calculating how much more would I pay for, let's just call it three out of four units vacant. Uh, how much more would I pay is, you know, even if I close and I'm going to have to give two months of, of kind of rent, either rent abatement or, or one month rent free um, to the tenant anyway. So you're factoring that in and you're giving them a higher purchase price as a result. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So um, basically one of my deals, you know, um, first of all, you need to get permission from the current landlord because right. they have the right to refuse you because they are the current uh, landlord. I use uh, N forms. Uh, I know that's one of the question I think you guys asked. Uh, you actually use uh, the N form that the current uh, landlord has to be, their name has to be on there. Your name cannot be on there as well too. Right. That's not a tricky part. Uh, so, so I guess when you're, when you're getting these forms signed, you're basically using the, the current seller's name on it. You're getting them to sign off on it. Are you getting the seller to do the negotiation or are you doing it yourself? So I actually did it myself. Okay. And, um, the seller has the option. You can have the seller to do the negotiating for you, but, uh, I think that myself doing it, it's a little bit more efficient. That way it's more personable. Yeah. So you got all of them signed, uh, off before closing. That's correct. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's an immediate, uh, value add. Um, I found that, when we request vacant possession, but the property still tenanted, mm -hmm. most sellers don't know what to do. So it ends up being kind of a disaster situation. It's one that I'm going through right now. Mayu knows if it's supposed to be vacant. Then yeah. I go to the property and there's two tenants there. The fuck is going on right <laughs> now? And then I had to deal with it. Uh, but that's awesome, man. Yeah. Whenever you have the ability to take things under your own control and do your own negotiation, that's probably the best way to go about it or to outsource it to someone other than just the seller to, to work on it. Okay. So you have your fourplex there. What, like as Mayu was saying, it's Mayu's favorite question. <laughs> what did the numbers look like on that? Yeah. So um, the fourplex, this one right here is in Little Britain of Sudbury. So this is like around B2B plus uh, neighborhood. And uh, this one right here, I, negotiated down the property to $365,000 <laughs> for a fourplex for a fourplex. Yeah. It's pretty duplex vacant. Pricing. A little it's, bit more oh, it's, so it's not going to be vacant. No. So I'm going to have to, um, so this is where one of the negotiation that I'll have to uh, go talk to the tenants about just to see what they're at. You know, the good thing about larger multifamily properties is that even if uh, tenants end up staying, as long as you have like a, not more than one or two, even two vacant is still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so even two out of four of the units being vacant gives you the ability to renovate it. The problem really comes from, um, you know, if the remaining two tenants are really uh, unsanitary or, or really kind of disruptive to the other tenants, um, that's usually where the main risk comes from. But I mean, your purchase price is kind of well reflective of the fact that, you know, there are maybe some problematic issues kind of for you to deal with. And you'll definitely get rewarded nice for the work that you do as well there. Right. Um, what does the renovation budget look like on a project like that? So um, this one right here is going to be uh, approximately $70,000. 
70,000, that's not bad at all for, especially for four units that, that are kind of in disrepair, but what's the after repair value on a property like this in Sudbury now? What are you guys at about like 150 a unit? Yeah. So we're, we're talking about like, uh, approximately like uh, 600,000 and yeah. that could, that's just, uh, approximate. The reason I say that is because I'm being conservative, but the way the market is right now, uh, the appreciation is just going a little bit more. So I'm even going, I'm even projecting that this could go up to 630. But I'm going to be more conservative and just put uh, 600,000 for now. And uh, I can even go down to uh, 550 if I want to. Just, just Why was this deal overlooked on the MLS? Where is there an offer yeah. presentation day, multiple offers? So the deal died two times. And uh, it was all because of uh, inherited tenants. There were long-term tenants as well, too. We're talking about like 13 plus years living there. So I think that scares a lot of investors when they hear about long-term tenants. It's all about the numbers as well, too, and all about like how you approach the tenants and see where their, their story is and where they're at. So with myself, like I have experience with long-term and short-term tenants negotiations. And so that's why I'm able to mitigate that risk because I, I, I'm just very comfortable with it. And also I'm very comfortable with the numbers. And so when you say the deal died twice, you mean it was on the MLS, someone else bought it, then they backed out, yeah. uh, probably doing some sort of condition and then someone else did the same thing. So the seller probably wanted a clean offer from you, is that right? I know one of them wanted to have all units vacant. <laughs> so in Sudbury market right now, no, you can't do that anymore. So um, I think that's what scared the previous. And the second one, I think is because of finances reason. So the seller was very motivated. They want to get it over with. Uh, I think they have uh, family plans that they have to look after. So they needed the equity quickly. And so there was some motivation. There's some negotiation that we can talk. Not too much negotiation, but still, you know, uh, in Sudbury's market, picking up a fourplex for 365 is a steal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and most markets now picking up a fourplex for 365 is ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> especially like, uh, in a pretty decent area, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, like, this is like a unicorn. I'm not going to like always find this, but yeah. when you find like the numbers make sense, you know, like don't be afraid to pull the triggers. You know, it's all about you went clean on this, if I'm not mistaken, or did you put a condition? Uh, so this one, actually, I put a condition. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But that's why I said, this is a unicorn. <laughs> like this is a pure unicorn. Like I, yeah. I don't even advise anyone to go, uh, thinking Sudbury's unicorn, you know, like I'm just really lucky too. Yeah. Okay. And the last thing, did we talk about the triplex yet? Not yet. Right. No, not yet. So triplex, okay. this is a, this is an off market deal. My lawnmower guy actually, uh, told me about this, the, the brother here. No, 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 not Pierre. No, okay. this is uh, this is strictly from my uh, Kijiji uh, power team when I was building my power team in Sudbury. So my guy, he's uh, he's he does my lawn mowing, and uh, he told me about his uh, father-in-law is uh, selling this uh, property, and he wants to do it off market. So I'm like, oh hell yeah! So I just <laughs> I bolted there just to meet this guy, and then um, it turns out that you know we had some relatable stories. Uh, we're both in the healthcare uh, team. And um, so that's how we build our first relationship. Uh, this seller actually shot me down two times, you know, and then like uh, after a year later, I get this text saying that you want to do this deal. I'm like, hell yeah. So I went <laughs> out there and just uh, went in person, um, talked to some more like a, a relationship building. And uh, he ended up uh, just wants to sell me a triplex for uh, $400,000. 
And um, that was some negotiation involved, but still like he, he knew the market as well too. Like he even knew next door, five houses down was sold for 550. And so that's going to be my comps. Mm. So he's like, I'm willing to take a, like a cut. <laughs> and so why, why was he looking to sell off market? Why was he looking to, you know, he sounds like he knew the market. Um, why was he okay with that? Like what, what was kind of what, what did you offer over just going on the market? We did the condition, okay? So finances, and I was very flexible with him. Like he wanted to like uh, get some of the uh, work and also talk to the tenants. Um, he had a really busy life as well too. He's like a grandparent. He wants to spend more time with his grandchildren. So he needed time. So I was able to give them flexibility. That's a good thing about off-market is flexibility. So you can, your terms, their terms work around it. It's not like MLS where there's like, there's so many paperwork and and also like a lot of, uh, everything's all time, like timeline, you know, like it's, there's more flexibility with off market as long as uh, both sides agree. Right. So with this situation, if I was able to give him some flexibility, he'll bring down the price. And if I was able to take on as if the property, there's some issue with the property that I uh, did on my inspection report, uh, have shown, but in my opinion, it's like a minor, I got my general contract, looked into it and he didn't think it was a big deal. So yeah. And what do the numbers now look like on the triplex? So you bought it for 400, how much do you need to spend for renovation and how much do you think it'd be worth? So this property was really well kept. It's just uh, the basement, always the basement. There's always something wrong with the basement. <laughs> so, Especially in Sudbury. Always moisture. <laughs> yeah. Here's another thing I've learned, you know, in Sudbury, like a lot of people in Southern Ontario thinks that the water pumps that needs to be shot out from, uh, you have to drill through the cement and have the water shoot through. Well, in Sudbury, it's very normal to have like it's connected to the the same plumbing pump and to <laughs> to like uh, shoot the water through and and um, that's one thing I realized. It's uh, the reason why for this because of the harsh cold weather. And if you do something like that in Southern Ontario, the same method, it would have froze. The pipe would burst. You're screwed. Are you talking about the sump pump? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the sump pump. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sorry about that. Um, yeah, very, very uh, weird. But I mean, at the same time, I learned something. You learn something new every time. So every environment is different, you know. But um, yeah, sorry, I got off track there. Um, <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's it's interesting. Just like when I even when I speak to my contractors now, I try to get a better understanding of why we're doing something to fix a certain issue. When an issue comes up, they say we need to do this, this, this. I'm like, okay, like why? Can you explain it to me just for my own knowledge, right? And I like to verify that with other contractors as well. Like I was speaking to one plumber and he was telling me I had to replace a pump. And I was just like, why? They're like, oh, because your water's been running dry, your pipes froze. So like your pump works overtime and it breaks down. And I was like, okay, like I know nothing about pumps. So let me ask someone. They're like, yeah, that's true. So it's always interesting to get to know these things because in the future, um, it just helps knowing how these things work. So next time you take a look at it, you know, what you need to do to fix it or the cost to fix it, or if there's any alternative solutions. So it's such that you don't have to fix it. That's awesome, man. So I really want to get to the numbers. So you bought it for 400, you said, and how much was the renovations? What's your, what's your after repair value going to be? Um, yeah. So I really believe that uh, it's going to be conservatively going to be around uh, 55,000. Um, I can even go to 60,000. It was already really good condition. You said, right? Yeah, very good condition. Like the covers are like looks like you just need to paint it over and you're good. You know, mm -hmm. it's like some uh, an investor was telling me like you literally you can just buy and burn <laughs> without even renovating. So that's how good yeah. it was. Yep. So anyways, uh, fifty five thousand. That's what I put it to. And uh, after repair value, I put it to. Uh, so like I told you uh, earlier back, 
two houses down, there was exactly the same model and literally the same found like same structure of the building. So we know from there that the comps is 550 that was sold like a, a three weeks ago from uh, when I looked into it. So right. it was 550, but we know that after repair, that means that the value of the property can go a bit more. So I'm even being conservative, super conservative, $560,000. It can totally go up to, I know that it can go up to like at least uh, um, 600, yeah. Yeah, you said this one was in Melbourne as well, right? Yeah, five. Yeah, so five hundred sixty thousand is the conservative. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds pretty fair, man. That's awesome, Alvin. I think that's a great deal. Um, usually, at this point in the podcast, we like to ask, I guess, kind of our, our, our two questions about them. Where do you see your business kind of going within the next five years? Call it three years, five years, whatever it is. Um, we talk about from an investing journey, from a business perspective, but also like markets, real estate, anything like that. Yeah, so five years from now, um, I'm really seeing myself grow. And when I grow, I need to really um, develop my my tier structure of my system. So I definitely want to start hiring uh, VAs to help me with like uh, finding more off-market deals and also helping me manage, uh, have an in-house uh, uh, property management. Also like be able to like have some more like uh, general contractors. I'm not currently like uh, incorporated yet. So definitely for sure going to be doing that. And I can see myself going another type of market outside of Sudbury because uh, eventually all markets uh, get to the point where your uh, strategy, what you're doing may or may not make sense, but it's getting close to it. And so I can see myself going more outside. So we're talking about like uh, another province, or I can, uh, I'm also literally kind of like uh, looking into the, the States or uh, other international market as well, too. So it's very, very ambitious plan that I have here five years down the road. Uh, but definitely for sure, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, real estate, you always want to expand and you want to grow. Yeah. For sure, man, Alvin, that, that's a great answer. So yeah, like you said, constantly pivot, right? And I think um, uh, I was talking to someone else about this the other day, you know, part of real estate is, yeah, it's, it's being committed to real estate, being consistent with your approach, but it's also being fluid as an investor and knowing when to kind of move and, and change what you're doing. Right. Um, so that's a great answer, man. Um, for, for newer investors and yourself, uh, what do you see as being the biggest risk in today's market? I know that we talked a lot about numbers, so definitely have to do that. And we also have to, with the whole, uh, political situation like the war that's happening in Eastern Europe. Uh, that's something to really be cautious about. But I'm going to say something a little different. I really think that uh, the biggest risk is like the system. And why I say the system is because eventually every investor wants to grow and we don't know how fast we grow. In my situation, you know, I never knew that I'll grow so fast. And there's a, there's actually true. It's actually absolutely true that when you grow so fast, you outwork your system and everything starts falling apart. There's this analogy of like juggling the balls. And like, when you grow so fast, you're starting to drop balls because like, for instance, my triplex and my fourplex, you know, who would ever thought I would get two properties in the same close to the same month, you know? And my general contract was just, is just scrambling, like trying to help with my third property, help my this fourth and this fifth property. And like, they're, he's like, I have to start finding other uh, uh, like people to help me as well, too. So when you grow very fast, you also need to grow your, your expand your network. You have to also expand your, uh, your power team as well, too. And uh, yeah, so those are something that I, I see the biggest risk that a lot of people don't talk about and a lot of people don't actually really think about, especially like uh, newer investors, you know, 
it's um they get we get so caught up on like trying to like um, catch up to what social media say you know oh we got to get this amount door in like two years you know we totally forgot about the back end as well too yeah yeah i know that's a really good answer man um we're just talking about this with it just slipped my mind we we're chatting about this recently though my if you remember and i was saying i only go on social media I think it's like 10 now it's like probably 10 minutes a day on Instagram. So if I haven't responded to you, I'm sorry. I, I just really don't go on Instagram too often. Um, but Alvin, there was a ton of golden nuggets throughout the, I hate that word golden nuggets. Let's change it. There are a ton <laughs> of great, great learning lessons throughout this podcast episode. Uh, your journey has been nothing short of phenomenal. I remember when we first ever chatted again, two years ago, absolutely nothing on your real estate, right? Like you're just listing agent. You were like me, listing agent, buying agents. Like, what is that? But then the growth that you had over the past two years has been absolutely phenomenal. And you're one of those guys who are action takers. Someone tells you to do something and you take action on it right away. And I think that contributes to a huge part of your success as well. I can't wait to see you continue to grow, especially now that you got into the small multifamily space. And I mean, you're learning things that even experienced investors don't know how to do yet. Things like tenant turnover and uh, taking on problem situations of property. So I know sky's the limit for you, man. If people want to reach out with, to you, connect with you, chat with you, how can they do so? Yeah, so uh, definitely I spend more time on Instagram. So if you hit me up on um, my IG tag, which is this is Alvin Wong. And I even created my Gmail account. This is Alvin Wong at gmail.com. So make it very easy for everybody. So uh, my first and last name, this is Alvin Wong. Yeah. Awesome, man. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support the podcast. I think we're at 107 reviews. So maybe like two more than when I last said this. So it's a little bit of progress there. It helps uh, bring great guests like Alvin out to the podcast. And until next time, everyone invest smarter and live better. Take care all.